What a Savior. Man, as we were worshiping first service, the same second service, it's like, man, what a Savior we got. You know, it's interesting as we're singing, I mean, he, he not only saves us, but He delivers us. He is mighty to save because He came on the cross and He died for our sins so that we don't have to go to hell, right? But and then He delivers us so that we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. That's what is, is amazing as well. I mean, all of it's amazing. But to think that He has delivered us from everything, that we don't have to be caught up in that. Man, I'm excited. It gets me stoked. Yeah. I'm excited anyways. Just because you guys are here, man. It's like, man, look at it. You guys showed up again. That's awesome. I love you guys. I really do, man. I, I just so appreciate you guys. But um, this morning, if you will, make your way over to First Peter. We're done with James. It took us a while. I'm so excited that we got through James. I loved it. But Peter is like one of my other favorite books. I just love Peter. Um, so as you make your way over to First Peter, put a bookmark, your, your, your bulletin or something, there in First Peter. Um, because I want to take you to a couple other places before we get into Peter. Now, understand, my mind has been thinking of just, as I've been thinking about Peter, writing about Peter, my mind keeps on wanting to say Peter. And I'm not even English, right? Like that. But it's just one of like, Peter, 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 you know? And so if I say it, or maybe I got it out of the way already, but it's just been kind of going. So I thought, I got to say it because I know I'm going to be, and you got to buy, I didn't know he had an English accent. I thought he had a Mexican accent. But, uh, but anyways, be that as it may, it's going to be a long introduction. We will get to Peter. Uh, I promise you we will get to First Peter. But before that, I want you to get, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, um, before we get into the book. Um, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, by no way am I going there to kind of um, put Peter down in any way. I, I, I'm not going there because of that. I, I want to go there because I want to show what God can do with a guy like Peter. And for that matter, with a guy like me. And people like you. <laughs> okay? So, so, so nobody take it wrong in any way. This is just what Scripture says. And so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, maybe I should go there myself. Uh, where am I at? Um, see, I got bookmarks, so I can get there quicker. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For you know your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
But of Him you are in Christ, who became for us the who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it, it that as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Again, I, I, I want to go there just to, to preface before we get into all that, Mar, uh, that, that Peter has for us. Just the fact that God can use just about anything and anybody. He, 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 I, I guess I want to get, get that out of the way because when we get into 1 Peter and 2 Peter, when we get into those things, I, I, I want to share with you that the person that wrote... First and Second Peter is this. It's a different Peter than from the Gospels because you're going to see. And, and again, we'll be going back to the Gospels throughout. But if you know Peter from the Gospels and you start reading First and Second Peter, there are two different guys. Something happened in those two men, or, 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 or you know, there's a, a difference there. So there. There was a change that that occurred in this man. Something happened to Peter after he was restored. If you remember the story, he, he, he like messed up during the crucifixion and all that. And, and, and God, or Jesus came back, came, you know, came back to life, resurrected, and he restored him. And then when you start reading about him in the book of Acts, it's like, dude, who is this Peter? What, what, what has happened to him? He was filled with the Holy Spirit after that. Turn over to Acts chapter 4 now. And if you know the story, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, several days after that, it seemed like, James and, and or, or Peter and John are walking to the temple. They're going to the temple to go pray. And there's a beggar who is asking for money. And I'm sure he had been there before, but that particular day, as they're going, he's asking for alms, and Peter turns around, again, Peter, this is Peter, he turns around and he tells the guy, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and he sticks his hand out, and he raises the guy up from his, his, his being paralyzed and stuff. It's like, whoa, Pete, what's gotten into you? Well, all of a sudden, man, you have this boldness. And again, in that, in that story, as you go into chapter 4, now the, 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 the high priests have caught wind of it, and they're talking about, oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? That these guys are doing stuff out of our control. They're preaching in the name of Jesus. And, and it says that they brought these guys into custody and they brought them before them. And Peter, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, begins to, to, to talk to these rulers and stuff. And, and, and he begins to tell them, you know, if we're being judged for the good work that we're doing, hey, you, you know that this, this Jesus, the one that you guys crucified... It's, it's through his name that we're doing this. And so he's just boldly, like, even telling them, you guys killed him, but he is alive. And it's through him, because there is no other name under heaven by which anybody can be saved. And so he throws that out there, and then in verse 13, I want to take from verse 13 to 22, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the men, 
the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go out aside, out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through these men is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spread no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on, they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and, and, and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. All of a sudden, these guys, Peter, John, the rest of the guys, are not afraid to stand up against the religious leaders. If you remember, right after the crucifixion, when they buried him, they were hiding in a room in a house. They were afraid because they were going to come, they thought that they would come after them next. And then once Jesus resurrects, then they have a little bit more boldness to go out. But Jesus breathes in them the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit now comes upon them, and there is this newfound boldness that these guys have. And the religious leaders, they knew that these men were uneducated and were untrained. But <laughs> they could not deny the fact that these guys had been, Jesus, been with Jesus. That is a huge difference. They knew these guys, they're not wise in any way, shape, or form. They're not educated, but something's up with these guys because they've been hanging around with Jesus. And that caught their attention. But what the religious leaders didn't know was that Jesus was now living inside of them. (laughs) He was now living because through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was now living inside these disciples, those who were up in the upper room. And so they couldn't deny that. They couldn't deny that something's up with them, but they didn't know that Jesus actually lived inside their hearts. And Peter and John and all these guys are like, dude, I don't care what you guys think. We know what we have seen and what we have heard. And we cannot help but act on that. And so there is a newfound boldness in, 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 in what's going on in Peter's life. There was nothing that was going to stop Peter from here on out if you look at in the in the book of Acts and then if you look in, into his letters here there was nothing that was going to stop him because he was a changed man he, he was up close and personal in all of these things and so he could not deny it I love the fact that as, as Peter grew in the Lord as he matured in the Lord and as he got to the end of his life as he as he understood the grace and and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that's what he wanted for his readers, because in the last verse of the last book that he writes, 
he writes that, that, that you may know the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That was his heart for them. He had such a passion and he, and, and, and he shares passion um, in First and Second Peter. You, you, you could read the passion that, that is coming out within him because of his experiences that he had in his lifetime with Jesus and even after Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. There was such conviction and compassion that you read uh, through First and Second Peter. I, I just hope that I can do it some justice as we go through it. Because to me, I read this and I just think like, man, Peter, man, you're, you're, you're talking from experience, bro. You know what's going on because he felt that he understood it. And so, so again, we, we, we see that, that Peter has matured. He has grown. And what I like about Peter, and I think most of us like about Peter, is that most of us can relate to him. Especially pastors. I think as pastors, we, we, we should relate to him even more so. Just because we know how much we mess up and God still uses us in, in, in the way he does. But I know that all of us as a whole, we have a tendency of making fun of Peter. And we do that not so much to bring him down, but to, because he reminds us of us. And we kind of feel better if we can make fun of somebody else. You know, that, that's like, well, heck, he was one of the apostles and he messed up. Who, who, am, who am I? You know, but but I think sometimes we 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 tend to, to to make fun of him because we know that he made a lot of mistakes as well, and and we can we we, we can relate to him. One of the things I also like about Peter is that he, he he wasn't just raw; he was real. He was real. Whatever you saw in him, that's all. That, that that's what you got. What you see is what you get with Pete, man. That that's who he is. And, 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 and he, he, he was who he was, and that's all he was. And he didn't try to pr- pretend anything else. I mean, there was times that he got caught for being a hypocrite here and there by, by Paul, but, but he was who he was, and I think that's why we relate to him. One of the other reasons that I like Peter is that he was a talker. He was a talker. <laughs> um, he, but, but he ended up being or becoming the spokesman for a lot of the disciples. Whenever something was going on, right or wrong, Peter was going to jump in there. He was going to be the spokesman. Whether he put his foot in his mouth or not, he was going to speak up. It's almost like, hey, you guys aren't going to say anything? I'll say it. I'll be out there. I'll I'll be the one that says it. Whether I get shot down or not, whether I sink or swim, I don't care. I will do it. And that's, that's who Peter was. It got him into a lot of trouble at times. But again, that's just who he was. Peter ended up making it into the inner circle of Jesus with James and John. People was like, yeah, you know, Peter, James, and John, man, they did everything. Not like the other guys. They were used, yeah. But man, he, got, he was inside that, that, that inner, inner circle. And, and, and I like what Pastor Gail Irwin has always said about that inner circle. It wasn't because they were special. It's because he had to keep an eye on those guys. <laughs> You know, they got themselves in trouble a lot, you know, because James and John, they, they were called the sons of thunder because they at one point, you know, things weren't going right. It's like, Jesus, you want us called fire from heaven, man? Let's just smoke these guys. And he's going, hold on, hold on. And Peter, again, it's like, come here, Peter. You've got to stand next to me, Pete. 
I do not want you. And so everybody's like, oh, the inner circle is like, no, not so much. It's just that these guys could probably do a lot more damage. So it's like, I'm going to leave it up to somebody else. You guys follow me. And so they got to experience a lot more because of that, though. (laughs) But I like the fact that Jesus would keep a guy like Peter around. He would just keep him around. I, I, I like the fact that with all his faults, with all his shortcomings that he had, he didn't just get rid of them and say, you know what, Pete, I'm done. Dude, you try my patience and I'm like God, you know. <laughs> and I, dude, Peter, you know, and, and, and I like the fact that he just kept them around. He's just like, come on, up, come on, come on, you're with me. One of the things that stood out in my mind as I was studying this, as I was looking back on Peter's life, one of the, the, the times that stood out is when Jesus took his disciples up to uh, Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi up north in, in Israel. And as they got up there, he turns to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And these guys began to respond, well, some say that you are John the Baptist. Others said, oh, they, they, they say that you're Elijah. And still others said, well, you were like one of the prophets. And, it's, and I love the fact that as he heard all that, then he turns to them personally. He says, but who do you say that I am? He, he kind of makes it real personal for them. But who do you say that I am? And again, Peter being the spokesman, he steps it up. And without even hesitating, I think, he just says, you are the Christ. <laughs> you are the Christ. And it was like, right on, Pete. God has revealed this to you. Jesus said, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And I can imagine Peter's like, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying right here. Did you guys hear that? Can you repeat that one more time, Jesus? Because I don't think those guys heard it. And right after that, right after he, he says that, Jesus begins to tell his disciples at that moment, I'm going to have to die. That's what I'm here for. I'm going to have to die. And that's what has to happen. But Peter would have none of that kind of crazy talk. And it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 32, and it says, And Peter took, but G, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> this means that Peter took Jesus by the hand took him a little to the side, turned him face to face and began to rebuke him. That's what that means, that he took him aside by the hand. I'm thinking, well, isn't that thoughtful of Peter? Isn't that thoughtful of Peter to rebuke the Lord away from his disciples? So he doesn't look bad. But he'd been talking all this crazy talk. I thought, man, right on, Pete. I'm sure Peter thought within himself, now Jesus... God reveals things to me, as you well know, because you even said that. And I don't think you're thinking straight right now. You're, 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 You're saying a lot of crazy and negative things that's not good for you and it's not good for the rest of the guys over there. I can handle it, but those guys can't. And it's almost like that's what he does to him. It's like, man, let's get your head back on. You're not going to die. And right after that, Jesus turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he went from hero to goat. Like, that quick. That quick. It's like, really, Pete? Get behind me, Satan. Because you're not thinking like a, 
like in, in the heavenly realm. You think like a man right now. And I'm sure he's just like, dang it. <laughs> There's so many other things that we can talk about, Peter, and I'm sure we'll talk about them as we're going through the book. I don't want to bag on them all the time, but we're going to see things in the book that go back to where he messed up and why he is so passionate about it when he preaches or when he's sharing the, the, the word right here. That's what we're going to be able to see. When, when Peter should have been waiting, he was rushing in instead. <laughs> instead of praying, he was sleeping. That's Peter. He, he argued rather than obeyed. And he talked when he should have been listening got to say about Peter, I like him. That's probably why I like him so much, because I could relate a lot to him. And it's not like Peter all of a sudden became perfect, because he didn't. In Galatians, we see that, that Paul had to rebuke him at a certain time, because he was acting like a hypocrite, even after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He would go from hero to goat many a times, But as he matured, and we see this in his letters, as he matured, he got more things right than he got wrong. I like that too. And that's my desire for you, that as you grow in the Lord, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that you would get things more right than you get wrong in your life. You're still going to mess up, but do more right than wrong. Now, nobody really argues about the authenticity of of who wrote 1st and 2nd Peter. But there are some who do trip out that that this would be a writing from Peter. I I found this and I want to quote it. Quote, the superb literary style and sophisticated use of vocabulary in 1st Peter seems to indicate that its author must have been a master of the Greek language. Those who deny Peter's uh, authorship say that such an artistic piece of Greek literature could not possibly have flowed from the pen of a Galilean fisherman. (laughs) It's like, that can't be Pete. But it goes back to the fact that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. He blew people away, even by how he wrote. And the fact that God could use a stinking fisherman (laughs) to write such a masterpiece that people would say, there's no way. And it's like, that's what God does in our lives. When people look at us, there's no way that God could do that in your life. It's like, yeah, duh. (laughs) I can't understand it either, but he does. And that's who this guy is. And even though Peter was uneducated and untrained, even though Greek was not his primary language, one thing is true. And the leaders, the religious leaders acknowledged it. They had been with Jesus. That's what makes all the difference in the, in the world for you, for us. That you've been with Jesus. He teaches you. He, he pours his spirit upon you. And people look at you and they're going, well, that can't possibly be that, that God would be doing something like that in you. And so the theme of this book is suffering and glory. That is the theme of this book. You see, there is no glory without suffering. And Jesus is the prime example of of what it means to suffer. 
but what it means to be received up in, in, into glory as well. There's a similar theme that I found in one of the commentaries that I'm reading for this book. And that theme that, that was there was God's grace and, and the living hope. God's grace and the living hope. God's grace shows up during our sufferings. And the living hope shows itself in glory. Because we have a living hope. And we're going to learn about that. We're going to learn about hope in, in First Peter. The writing of this book was about A.D. 65. And it is believed that the persecution had already begun in Rome by the deranged and infamous um, Caesar Nero. That he already had begun to persecute those who were in Rome. And Peter was in Rome for the last decade of his life. He was martyred in A.D. 67. He wrote this book in 65. He wrote 2 Peter in 66. And he gets martyred the following year. He gets killed. This is the, he gets killed by Caesar Nero. It's the same Caesar that killed Paul a few years earlier. At the time of his writing, Peter was not in custody in any way. He wasn't in jail with the Roman authorities. I'm sure they had their, their eye on him. But evidently, he, he wanted to conceal his true location of where he was writing to because at the end, he writes this like, kind of cryptic message, this code, if you will, that he was writing from Babylon. But Babylon was a code for Rome. He wasn't in the physical Babylon because there's no record of him ever being in Iraq area. But it says that he was, for the last 10 years, in Rome. And so he kind of kept it as a low profile of where he was at. And most of the letters in the New Testament are meant to encourage and to exhort. And this one's no different. It is meant to encourage you and to exhort you how to walk as a Christian, and how to be an ambassador for Christ. And so whether things are going good in your life or whether you're suffering, we want to be able to give glory to God and glory in Him. So First Peter chapter 1, we'll cover the first two verses this morning. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Peter. Peter's God-given name or his given name was Simon. Jesus is the one who changed his name to Peter, which means little rock. The Aramaic equivalency to Peter is Cephas. And I share these because here we have a man who, who goes by three different names, it seems like, throughout the scriptures. And so whenever you run into Cephas, which they didn't use a lot, but when you run into it, he's, they're talking about Peter. Over 50 times in the New Testament, he is called Simon. 
<clears throat> Oftentimes, his name is Simon Peter. They go together. And it's quite possible that these two names, they suggest that, that maybe it, it, it was part of his, his two natures that we all have. <laughs> you know, we have the spiritual and the, and the physical. The, the old nature, Simon, who, who, that was prone to sin. <laughs> and Peter, his new nature that, that was prone to, 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 to have victory in his life. And so it's quite possible that Simon, when his name is used as Simon, he was just considered another lump of clay. <laughs> but he was called Peter. God had made a rock in his life, man. He was a rock. The word apostle is representative, is a representative. A special messenger, one who has been sent out. And it's interesting because the apostle Paul Again, he was called an apostle. But this is what he said about himself. As one born out of due time. In other words, he, he, he didn't have the privilege like the other guys to walk with Jesus or see him on a regular basis like that. Not like Peter who was a, an, 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 an OG, or no, an OA, an, an apostle, original apostle. He, he, was, he was like one of the inner guys, you know. He was one of the original. I like what Gail Irwin always says about Paul. Paul was more of a B apostle, and and Peter and those guys were A apostles. He was in the A crowd. But Peter here, he's not bragging that he's an apostle. He, he he's he's not like throwing that out there. I think if anything, I think he just was so happy to be used of the Lord any way, shape, matter, or form. I think he was just so jazzed that God would keep him around the way he did to use him and to encourage others. I, I, I truly believe as I'm reading this, as I'm studying this, that, that he had, it, it was more of a humble thing that he would even be called an apostle like that. And if you know Peter, humility was not his strong suit. <laughs> but I truly believe that he felt it an honor to be called an apostle. It says that he's writing to the pilgrims in these areas. And the word pilgrim from the Thayer's Greek lexicon is one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there by the side of the natives. Hence, a stranger, sojourner, in a strange and foreign land. He was a foreigner. And I think as Peter is writing to them, it's true that they were physically in other places and they were foreigners and they were pilgrims in other places. But I, I, I would think that there would be this underlining tone that this on the, on the spiritual side too, you are not part of this world. You are a stranger in this world. And even though they were out in other places, it wasn't their home either. Paul mostly ministered to the Gentiles. And Peter, he ministered more to the Jews. And even though there were, there were Gentiles included in this letter, unlike James, he, James wrote more to the Jews and he had that bent to, spend, to, to write to the Jews. Peter, on the other hand, even though he's writing to these who had left Jerusalem and are now scattered all over that were Jews, there were still Gentiles that, that he, he's writing to in this letter. And, and Peter, 
it says in the Amplified, writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion, scattered, sown, sprinkled like salt throughout. That's who he was writing to, these people who had now gone out. Because of the persecution that they had suffered in Jerusalem, they were now out and about, and, and they were scattered. And they were to be sowing seed and scattered, being the salt of the, of the world. And it's interesting because these places, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, they're all in, the, in what we know today as modern-day Turkey. It's Asia Minor, but today it's modern-day Turkey. And I was talking to somebody earlier this morning, and we were talking about that area and how sad that in that area Paul ministered and Peter ministered up in the, in the north. And today it's such a entrenched in, in, in the Muslim religion. So much so that the mission or the missionaries that go there prefer that they not be told by they, they don't tell anyone. Like, don't tell them where we're at. We're just in that area of the world because it's dangerous to be a Christian in that country right now. And I thought it was sad that in the first century, not that it was considered a, a Christian nation or, 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 or area, there was a lot of Christian churches in what is known today as, as Turkey. And today it's, it's, it's full of Muslims and they rule and reign there. And I thought, wow. And we think that that couldn't happen in the United States? Being a Christian nation? Oh, yeah, I think we've walked away from that one. Be careful. <laughs> Be on your toes. The Apostle Paul wanted to go to that area and preach and minister. But it tells us in, in, in Acts that the Holy Spirit forbid him. Forbid him from going up to Bithynia and those areas. Instead, he went south and ministered down by the coast. Because God had different plans for that area. Peter would be up there. That would be Peter's area. Chapter 2, or verse 2, I mean, where it says elect. Elect, to the, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and, and peace be multiplied. The, the, the word elect simply means chosen, to be chosen. And there are many, some, who, who have a hard time with the topic of election. But simply put, it is part of God's predetermined plan of who is chosen and who is not chosen. It, it's, it's God's predetermined plan of who will make it and who will not. And it's not on the merits of, of, of who he likes and who he doesn't like. I, 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 get it. I, I don't understand that. But it's not on, on, on any kind of merit for those who are chosen or elect. It's solely based on God's grace. And I don't quite understand that either. It, 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 he, he has chosen some, it says, from the foundation of the world. And if anyone claims that they understand election fully is a fool and arrogant. Because it's way beyond our, our, our understanding. To say that you know God's foreknowledge, His, his predetermined plan, 
To, to, to say that, that you understand predestination and all, it's like, come on, that'd be foolish. And, and those who, 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 who lean on that side, those are the ones that are having a hard time with this election because many of those, they think that they understand election. And they come within the church and they begin to divide the church over election. And those who lean that way lean to the, to the Reformed theology and Calvinism. And they come within the church and they start making or, or debating Christians and you begin to doubt your salvation. It's like, because they start like, well, are you really or really not chosen? It's interesting because they don't go out into the world because they would never go out and tell somebody, hey, you need to accept Jesus today. Can I pray with you? They will never do that in that sense. Because to them, it's like, well, God's pre, pre, uh, already planned it, so I don't know if I could pray with you or not, because maybe God didn't choose you. And so that, that's how radical that they can get. And so they have a hard time, and they come in and they, they divide the church. They go into the church instead of going outside the church to get converts. And they come in within the church, and they begin to, to, to throw this and play this game with people to where you're going, well, am I saved or not? Because they, they, their mentality is, if you, say, if you sin on purpose, maybe you're not chosen. And it's like, whoa. It becomes legalism. <laughs> and people get caught up in it. The first thing we need to understand, the first thing we need to know about God is that He is sovereign. Which means that He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. He knows everything and He knows everyone. That's what we know about God. He already knows who will, who will accept Him and who will not. He knows that already. The Bible tells us in, first, in, in John fifteen sixteen, You did not choose me. I chose you. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says, Before the foundation of the world, He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Do I understand that? Not at all. I don't quite comprehend that. And so, to me, the first thing we need to know about man is that he is not sovereign. (laughs) He doesn't know everything or anything for that matter. (laughs) Not when it comes to this. Our, Our little pea brains cannot comprehend what God knows and how he knows that. And I think if, 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 if people get caught up in that, again, they, they just begin to, to, to try to, to understand something that is beyond our understanding. We, we don't know who God has chosen. And so because we don't know, we preach to all. <laughs> we preach the gospel to all men. A, a, election can be a pretty confusing, confusing thing. But it is truly way beyond us. I found a quote that says, Try to explain election and you will lose your mind. But explain it away and you may lose your soul. I don't understand it fully, but I will accept it. I will accept the fact that God has chosen me. Charles Spurgeon, who, who, who in reality leaned in that, in that direction... When he was preaching on election, someone came to him and said, why don't you just preach to the chosen, to the elect, to the called? And he replied, well, if you'll run around 
and pull up everybody's shirt tails and see if there's an E on their back, stamped on their back, I will preach to them. (laughs) He didn't know either. And so he preached to all. You see, God only knows who is elect and who is not. And I'm so glad that he chose me from the foundation of the world before I was ever born. Because if he would have chose me after I was born, he might have not chosen me. (laughs) He's probably going, "Uh uh-uh, too much trouble. I ain't got time for him. (laughs) The easiest way to know that if you are called or chosen, if you're part of the elect, would be that you accept Jesus in your life. Accept him in your heart today, this morning. I'll give you a chance at the end of the service. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, Jesus speaking, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Come to him this morning. And if he casts you out, then you're not one of the chosen. It's that simple. But we just read (laughs) that Jesus said, if you come to me, I will never cast you out. So to me, it's not that difficult. I mean, I might not understand it totally. But that I do know. (laughs) Because I read it, and it's like, well, I've come to him, and he hasn't cast me out in 33 years. Sweet, I think I'm in. (laughs) I like this other saying that I learned a long time ago. It's like this, walking down a hallway. Many people just walking through these corridors, this corridor, And there's a door and it says, whosoever will, enter in. And you go and you enter in and you close the door and you look behind you and it says, chosen from the foundation of the world. And it's like, right on. But see, we can start thinking like, well, what if I wouldn't have pulled in? Well, you you did. I know, but what if? It's like, well, dude, the what if? If you want to live in the what if, you're going to rack your brain. But if you came in, he says, man, I've chosen you. And to me, it's just that simple. And if anybody comes to you to, to bring doubt, to, 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 to question your salvation in that sense, it is not their job. Oh, they might want to expect a fruit in your life, but it's not their job as far as salvation. And in the name of Jesus, rebuke them if you have to. I can't really ever understand it on this side of heaven. I will never. And I'm sure Peter didn't understand it either when he wrote this and he wrote, writes to these five different regions and he calls them elect. How did he know? Or did he know? I truly believe he didn't know. I just believe that he trusted that it's up to you, God, not me. And so he wrote to his brothers and sisters in those regions and he, he said, elect. He called them elect, chosen. You see, when it comes to the plan of salvation like this, as far as chosen that we can see here, again, Paul or Peter just, just calls them elect. And somehow he, he just knew that. He just accepted that. But it includes more than, than the Father's election in love. It includes the working of the Holy Spirit to convict sinners and draw them to faith in Christ. There, there, there's this mutual working that happens, it seems like. 
Because as Calvary Chapel, we don't lean one way to Calvinism and, or another way to, to, to Arminianism. We just kind of stay right in the middle, man. Because both of them will make a good argument, a decent argument at that. It's the working of, of, of God, but there's a responsibility of man. God the Father, or God the Son, had to die on the cross for our sins. He had to. To, in order to bring about salvation. We have been chosen by God. We have been purchased by the Son. And we have been set apart by the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity all over that place, all over this verse right here. As far as the Father is concerned, I was saved from the foundation of the world. As far as the, the, the Son is concerned, I was saved the day that he died on the cross for me. And as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, I was saved on November 21st, 1979. Took all three. (laughs) Working in unison. And I didn't question it. I had no clue about that. (laughs) But I accepted it that morning. And it changed my life. They all came together. Three persons in the Godhead for me to be saved, for you to be saved. And if we try to separate that ministry of the divine, sovereign God and, and, and human responsibility, it will lead to heresy, dissent. He finishes off this portion, this introduction with grace to you and peace be multiplied. A common greeting. That, that, that he wanted God's mercy, God's grace, God's unmerited favor to be upon those who would be reading this letter. And that's my heart for you. That God's grace would be upon you. And the peace of God would be multiplied in your life. Those of you who are saved, that the peace that God offers you are experiencing today. And you have the peace of God because you have peace with God. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you've never committed your life to Him, then it's hard to have that kind of peace, isn't it? It's kind of hard for you to experience that unmerited favor if you've never just taken advantage of that. To say, Lord, I want it. I don't know if I'm chosen or not, but I'm going to come to you, and if you reject me, then I know I'm not, but I can guarantee you this. You come to Jesus this morning, and He will not reject you. Amen? So if that's you, I'm going to be here, up here in the front, And if you want Jesus, you just come up to where I'm at. We're going to have prayer teams up here. And if you have any other things that you need prayer for, you go to the prayer teams. But let's pray as we close in prayer. And as the music is going on, or let's stand as we close in prayer. Um, as uh, As we sing that last song, again, if you are here and you need that salvation, I do not want you to leave here without having that, that assurance in your heart that you are truly saved. And as believers, I hope you have that insurance. I really do. And if you're here, if you don't, then come and talk to me. I'll be up here. Amen? And if you have prayer for anything, go to the prayer teams. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you that we get the opportunity to study the book of 1 Peter, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just pour out your blessing upon the times that we get together to study this amazing book, Lord. I pray that you would change us from within, Lord. Minister to us and challenge us, Lord. Comfort us and exhort us, Lord, throughout this whole book, Lord. Help me to do it justice, Lord.
I just pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that there would be an assurance within their lives right now that, Lord, nobody can shake. Lord, they have come to you and you said, you promised that you would never cast anyone out, Lord. And I just pray, God, that they would be faithful to that. Lord, again, if there's anyone this morning as you have already gotten them out of their seat, Lord God, all they have to do is walk down here. I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, they would not let the enemy to keep them chained to that row, to that seat, Lord, but that you would break the chains this morning, Lord God, and that they would have salvation and they would be assured of eternal life. And so we praise you and we thank you, Lord God, for your amazing love. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace.